This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see just how beautiful life can be when you soften your heart you can finally start to live your truthiest life hello truthiest life fam welcome back this year i focus that i would like to bring to the podcast if i can is to explore sexual health, sexual wellness, sexuality in general. I think that it's a super taboo topic or we all have some sort of a relationship to how we perceive the way the topic should be addressed or the way it should be even physically done. And it's a topic that I was certainly uncomfortable with for a long time. But as I grow more into my body, wellness, becoming a mom, all these things uh, going through the life cycle, it becomes crystal clear to me that the way we seek pleasure from one thing defines how we seek pleasure from another. And the way that we accept pleasure in our life from one thing allows for pleasure in other areas. So allowing ourselves to get pleasure from a cup of tea, coffee, chocolate to me is the same as allowing ourselves to get pleasure from sex, sexual activity, or perhaps even if it's done by yourself, masturbation. Again, like still kind of working through this myself, my own discomfort around these these topics because I too am a product of a society where it was really hushed and anything that's hushed uh, really suppresses us from being who we were meant to be 
And uh, this upcoming episode is with one of my best friends in real life, Lisa Hochberger, who's a sex therapist, and hearing from her, which you will in just a moment, about how her weight and diet culture really contributed to her own sexual desire and preferences that she suppressed really illustrates to me everything that I kind of just discussed and how wellness is really full circle. And we're not really talking about wellness unless we talk about all the things that humans do, drink, eat, breathe, think. So that is a topic that I personally would like to continue to explore, to have experts on, to break down this topic. I have mentioned in this episode again coming up that if it's uncomfortable for you, I invite you to stay. I invite you to bring curiosity to it. So many of us have ideas about sex that stem from the way we were raised or religion that um, it could make it really uncomfortable. And in this episode with Lisa, we even talk about something that I did semi-recently that really portrayed my discomfort with this topic publicly. And I'm leaving it in the episode because I want to invite you to see that I'm along for this ride with you. So I would love to hear some feedback about this episode, or if you'd like to explore this as we make our way through 2022 guests and content, because I think we can make a real impact and change and use sex as a way to live our most authentic lives. All right, let's jump into this episode with my dear friend, Lisa Hochberger. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life, everybody. Today's a really special episode for me because it's with a personal friend of mine, more than a personal friend. We've done huge life things together. We went to college together, and then we studied abroad together doing this program called Semester at Sea, where we went around the world on like a cruise ship, and we were roommates in a very intimate setting. We've experienced, you know, different cultures together, gotten into precarious, dangerous situations when traveling through those (laughs) countries. We almost uh, capsized once. (laughs) Remember that? You fell out of bed. I fell out of bed. You were strapped to yours. So anyway, let me introduce uh, Lisa Hochberger. We're both Lisa's. We both, it confused a lot of people. We're both LH. We're both Lisa Beth. There's a lot of similarities, uh, but a lot of differences between us too. But nonetheless, Lisa is the best. She's the coolest woman. You're a woman now, recently engaged and a sex therapist. And Lisa, if you would have asked me to predict your career in 2009, when we went all across the world, I don't know if I could have ever landed on you being a sex therapist. <laughs> it's so funny. It's kind of like the reason why I want, went into this is because I was so romantically curious about what was going on and sexually curious, but harboring that within me because I wanted to be whatever was the normal 20 something at the time. And then I let it all out after I grew up a little. I mean, it's fascinating because like I said, like I'm a pretty intuitive person. I know who people are without them having to speak, but I didn't pick up on that energy and frequency of yours. It's so interesting that you were suppressing it. Why do you think you felt like you had to suppress it for so long? Really interesting talking to you about this, Lisa, because I've known you for so long. But when I was young, growing up in Long Island and I was not a stick skinny girl, I really didn't want to admit to myself that I wanted, well, I admitted it to myself, but I didn't want to admit to others how badly I wanted romance, a boyfriend, and it like became my mission. I loved watching rom-coms. I fantasized about some ideal that is not true at all, but I 
became as a defense mechanism, the matchmaker trying to set everyone up and which I still love to do, but I didn't want to feel bad that no one would want to be with me because I didn't feel like I was this prototypical Long Island girl. Right. So Lisa and I actually knew each other in high school, different high schools, but that is actually how I would accurately describe you. You were really good at having male friends as friends, and you were really good at setting them up with your friends. And it was lost on me that that came from a place of they would never want to be with me. So I'll set them up with my friends as a way to avoid potential rejection. Yeah. And a lot of them, I didn't even think of like that because I wouldn't even let myself go there. I wouldn't even let myself be like, oh, this person is attractive because I didn't even want to hit on that rejection piece that totally transformed with time and life and experience. But high school, I look back on it. and It was so much fun. I know I wasn't authentically myself. So well, is anybody, yeah. you know, and especially like you said, growing up in a Long Island where we're from and everybody kind of looks stick skinny and wears the same clothes and all of that, you know, you were still friends with everybody that looked like that and you you always were the nicest person. But I know that your weight was really challenging for you. It's something that we, you were very kind of open about at the same time. It seems like you have overcome that a lot. And before we even get into your specialty, I think a lot of people can relate to diet after diet. I mean, you were on crazy diets, mm. like you were eating gel packets of protein from one nutritionist. I remember that. I mean, you were always on some sort of a, a diet. How have you found comfort in your physical body? Thank you, Lily. I've learned from you and a lot of people about how diets truly do not work. But aside from what I externally looked like from all my research, from all my studies, I started studying really intensely dating relationships, what people want, attraction. And I realized there were people of all body types, you know, married around the world, in New York, in Long Island even, right? And so I was like, what is it? And I lost all this weight and I didn't find a boyfriend. I really thought when I lost weight, I would find a boyfriend. And that was like the cure to my problems as soon as I found that. And I started to realize people were attracted to me when I was heavier. That's actually when I've always had my boyfriends, when I was heavier than the skinnier size. And I realized people who want to date me will date me. People who don't want to date me won't date me. But I can't try to be someone I'm not. And I also know that there is so much anxiety relationship with sexuality. I was learning how to get in touch with what is sexuality. How do we relax and enjoy pleasure? And I was learning that you cannot do that when you're anxious and self-conscious. You lose out mm. on play, on fun. And we'll get into that later. But that became so important to me. I wanted to learn how to enjoy one of the pleasures of life, which is my own sexuality. I think this episode is really timely during a very stressful time of COVID and everything. It just, at the time of this recording, at least, the world feels super heavy. And for me, despite having a baby and going through a huge joy in my life, there's really not a lot of pleasure in my life. And I will admit to my audience and to you that I'm also not inviting it in in a very sexual way right now because of my anxiety, because of my exhaustion. And I could also admit that I know I need to because 
healthy sexuality, whether with a partner or yourself or whatever it is, a conversation that I think I felt too taboo to talk about on platforms for a long time is a critical piece to wellness of feeling happiness, of getting the chemicals that we're supposed to be making. Um, And I think there's a lot of shame around this conversation, whether it's about masturbation or intercourse or (laughs) intercourse, that sounds a little Mm -hmm. uh, sex eddy, you know, sex or um, multiple partners, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And I'm really enjoying how the conversation is shifting in the in my world, Mm -hmm. uh, to include that because it's really challenging everything I ever thought about when it came to what it means to be sexually healthy. And there's so many ways that that could look when we're not confined to that narrow way that we were taught. Mm. So actually I, I'm not that familiar with what sex therapy actually is. Is it the same thing as couples therapy? I don't mean to hate on people who call themselves couples therapists that don't have sexuality training, but Mm. in my opinion, every therapist should have a sexuality training, right? Because I have clients come into me all the time that have been in therapy for 10 years in marriages, having affairs that have never talked about sex with their therapist. Sex is a, or lack of, we'll call it. How about that? People come in, they think they have a problem with sex. A lack of sex begins with an emotional mismatch or not a connection. There's something lacking within the connection. People often say, what am I missing? So what is a sex therapist? A sex therapist is truly a regular therapist. I have clinical training, but I have all this background in human sexuality. I've studied sexuality, alternative sexualities. I understand what our pieces of sexuality are, not just our sexual orientation, not just sexual health and reproduction, the difference between sexual intimacy, what pleasure is, what skin hunger, I'll get into that when we talk about, you know, a little later, but what it is to want touch or not want touch. And our sexuality is largely based on the way we develop as children. So sometimes it means relearning things that we learned as a child, like how to be a lady or how to be a dude. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So I actually asked you, is it the same as couples therapy? And you said yes, but it sounds like the answer is really no, because when I think of couples therapy, I think of whether it's premarital or marital, it's about sitting in the room and talking about the issues that you're going through, or maybe not necessarily the issues, but the very surface things, discussing the sexual nature of your relationship together in a safe container To be clear, a sex therapist is a therapist, but not all therapists who do couples are sex therapists. Is that correct? That's exactly true. And one major thing about sex therapists is that they've been through sexual attitude reassessment training, meaning we have been exposed to whatever you can think of the most alternative thing. People could say things to me. They're like, oh, we think you're going to laugh, even just like friends, right? I don't laugh. I don't have a reaction. I know that there are various ways to express ourselves sexually. And I think they're wonderful as long as it's consensual, it's legal. It's not anything related to minors. It's, you know, as long as it's consensual sex, I don't care what you're doing as long as you can be open and get in touch with what I like to call your erotic self or, you know, that person you might've been when you were a little, little kid that your mom told you how to behave and you stopped being that little kid because you had to. Right. 
keep up with the society. Right. You learn the boundaries and the confines to live in. You want to take them back to that place before they learn the box to live in so that they can freely express what they want to say. And you create that safe container. Now, it it seems kind of obvious that a couple or a, a think there's a a thruple when there's three people can would go maybe see a sex therapist, but can an individual go see a sex therapist on their own? Yeah, I see a lot of individuals and a lot of couples. A lot of times it's really important to figure out what is going on with yourself first before you introduce it to a partner. And some of my clients are single people that are dating, but afraid of their sexuality or experience pain with sexuality and think there's something wrong with them or they don't feel desire and they're like, I'm just not sexual. Am I asexual? Or they're curious about who they're attracted to. So there's a lot of exploring to be done. And also it is really hard out there for men and women dating. So a lot of people dating, thinking like, oh, it's me. There's something I'm doing. Um, And it's kind of reframing what is true because dating is a very, very new thing. Marriage was not about love until the 1900s. It was really, I mean, sort of, it was introduced in the late 1800s that marriage wasn't about love. Uh, I mean, that marriage, that there could be love in, I think, the late, like 1796 is when they introduced the term knight in shining armor, but knights were a thing of medieval times. So Mm. knight in shining armor, fairy tale. Right. It's an interesting, it could go in all different angles. And that's why sex therapists are so interesting because we understand sexuality as being so many things more than a penis coming together with either another penis or of a vulva or whatever it is. So it's wow. really important to have that. Yeah. It's so much to, to unearth. I know that my own, you know, for anybody listening who may feel uncomfortable during this episode, you're probably not alone at my bachelorette party. Uh, Lisa came and I'm a very atypical bachelorette. I do not like the strip. i was very against having a stripper or, you know, all the things that uh, would happen at a bachelorette. But because of Lisa's training, she decided to give us a banana demonstration. You know, you can kind of walk that through yourself. Um, But it made me really uncomfortable during that. And I kind of voice that here so that our listeners, maybe if there's any time that you want to shy away from this conversation, to know that you're not alone and we can kind of sit with the discomfort and hopefully bring curiosity to that. Why did that make me feel uncomfortable? Is it a bad thing that that made me feel uncomfortable? Um, is there something to learn from that? And I hope that throughout this conversation, you um, are able to kind of bring that there as well. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. 
Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Let's talk about the importance of play in a relationship, because I'm a year and a half married in a pandemic, and there's not much play outside of the bedroom, for sure. It's a very high-stress time of our life, uh, and I would like to learn the importance of play. Mm -hmm. So play is the most critical factor in a relationship, in our lives. It teaches us how to enjoy things. But again, we grew up in a society that is pleasure negative. So I always start with, as a child, you see a little kid, let's say he or she's eating an ice cream cone. They're really enjoying that ice cream cone and you know it, it's all over their face. They're having the best time. And then mom or dad starts telling you, eat that ice cream slower or that ice cream's fattening or you should only have a little bit or less than that. And all of a sudden you're robbed of like the joy, the play, because you're so busy trying to, be whatever is appropriate, be an adult, be a uptight person, almost is the way I view it. Pleasure and play are interconnected. In order to enjoy our partner, we have to play with them to, to get pleasure. So that's why I talk about play being so related to sexuality, because we need to get in touch with, if we have a loving partner, not always do we have that, but if we're consensually having sex with someone or in a loving relationship, there is nothing more intimate than being your inner child in front of your partner. So if we are a little girl exploring our body and curious, which often happens, moms, dads walk in on their child, just touching little boy touching, just feeling like, what is this? It's not sexual. It's really just like, what is this? This feels good. Then mom says, put that away. Never show your penis, never touch your vulva. Keep that away in that moment. There is a sexual negativity getting taught to that little child that this is, this is dangerous or this is bad and I should not be doing this. So it depends on how we process. If we're someone who has obsessive thoughts, we can really take on that role that like there is something wrong with sex and our bodies can react to that. 
And just to kind of harp on that for a second, because I think if you're a parent or, or an adult that knows a child, obviously you don't want them walking around rubbing their private parts or taking it out, you know, given the norms within our society and what's appropriate <laughs> and safe. Uh, is there something that you could say or do mm-hmm. to expand that boundary to allow them to be curious and do that in their own way mm-hmm. without... I guess, putting the, the, the sexual negative charge to it. Sure, yeah. So the first thing I'll say is kids don't need an explanation. They just need one sentence and they'll usually go back to doing whatever they're doing. Mm. You know, if you they say, ask, what is sex? And you say, it's when a penis goes into a vagina or whatever you describe as sex. That's not my definition of sex, but what many people define as sex. If you just stop there, the kid is going to walk away. They're not even going to really be like, so when do you do that? How do you do that? Most of the time, like nine out of 10 times, they're just going to walk away and be like, okay. But then when it comes to their, them playing with their genitals, wow, what a beautiful penis. But that's something for you. And you can enjoy that in your private time. And you really mm. want to encourage that their body is beautiful. You want to use the words, but encourage them to say, you know what, that is for you. Keep that, you know, that's your special part that's for you. And you can explore that on your own. I think that sounds really out there for a lot of parents though. And I want to be so transparent that I know that that may not be easy to do. Yeah. And to really trust that they are digesting what you're saying and not impose your own fears out there. Uh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, earlier on, you mentioned anxiety and the ability to have sex. Now I'm somebody who's very in touch with my emotions and my nervous system. And as much work as I do to nourish my nervous system, as I say, and keep myself at baseline or at least a balance when I'm anxious, when I'm depressed, when I'm any really emotion, the last thing I want to do is have sex and it's hard to really say, okay, I don't want to have sex because I'm anxious, but my body feels very closed off. What's happening when we're anxious Mm -hmm. and what's the relationship to desire at that point? So we have our autonomic nervous system that I'm sure Lisa has heard of, but I will just explain briefly. There's two branches, sympathetic, parasympathetic. When you are anxious, nervous, tired, hungry, exhausted, your sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, is on overdrive. It's your survival mechanism, part of your nervous system. So your parasympathetic, which bring, like regulates you, it's homeostasis. It makes you feel calm. Your sympathetic nervous system, is, it goes into survival mode. So when you're anxious, your neurons are firing to your for your heart rate and your blood pressure to go up, 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 up. And in the process, it stops firing neurons to areas that you don't need. So maybe you've heard stress can help make people gain weight because you're, you don't need to digest quickly to survive. Same thing for emotional regulation. You don't need to emotionally regulate to survive. Go to bed angry. Don't ever listen to that BS tale that you should make up before bed. No, let yourself regulate overnight. But when it comes to the genitals, we pick up on survival mechanisms. It's directly attached to the nervous system. So let's say as a child, you grow up in a very religious community that's telling you that sex is only to be had in a marriage or mom told you, do not masturbate ever. That is bad. All of a sudden you have attached this danger zone to your genitals and your genitals are more connected to your nervous system than they are your brain. 
So your nervous system might say constrict, 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 constrict is what I think of pleasure negative, no play. Expansion is pleasure. So when your body's open and you're breathing and you're relaxing and you're letting your body regulate, but sometimes it's not that easy. So it goes into like, what is normal for desire and, and all those topics that are fun to talk about. And perhaps you're feeling anxious from your current environment, but I imagine for both male and female who may have sexual trauma in their past, the act of sex might induce anxiety. The act of touch or potential touch or potential pleasure could actually cause, um, I don't know if the right word would be like sexual dysfunction in the male, I would call it erectile dysfunction, but maybe not the right term, but I know that what it feels like as a woman to shut down. Yeah. And I know what it looks like for a man to shut down. But I think there there's so much to say mm-hmm. about that because is there a spectrum of sexual trauma that, you know, we think of sexual trauma as being maybe more obvious to mm-hmm. obviously horrendous acts, but a lot of us harness less obvious uh, sexual trauma that might come up during sex. Yeah. So first of all, Erectile unpredictability is what I like to call things associated okay. with the mind. Um, and we'll get into what the rest, you know, we can get into that at another time. But what I will say is absolutely there's big T trauma and small T trauma. And that is exactly what I'm talking about. When I say mother sees their child masturbating and goes, oh my God, what are you doing? Stop. That moment in time, kids are like, adults all the time are like, my parents were, were fine. Like sex was fine. And then we get to this moment they've never thought of that, that moment in time that they have a memory of that their mother or father was, that's what we were, parents were told to do. It's not their fault, right? Like the way we respond, mm-hmm. I just want any parent who's done this before to not be like, oh my God, I messed up my kid forever. That's certainly not true. And none of us are, obviously none of us are perfect and everything we do, no matter who you are in, you know, impacts people around you, but it's not necessarily mm-hmm an intentionally bad thing. So don't overthink it parents, but, but yes, it's the smallest things in life that can create memories in our nervous system to go, Whoa, my body needs to go into survival mode right now. So it's really not even always in your mind. It's your body's reaction. And the same thing goes for, yeah, not just sexual trauma, but religious stuff or all different types of things we're experiencing. I think this conversation is so important because without the awareness of what anxiety is, what it feels like, how it affects your body, it could continue to your sexual shame. You know, if you're a male, Mike, I I can't, I don't know what's the right term here for how (laughs) you can't perform, right? Um, You might continue to perpetuate the anxiety or the same for a female. But I'm all about that mind-body connection. If you can notice, hey, I'm anxious right now. That's why I don't want to invite pleasure into my life. I think in the right setting, given the circumstance, you could also take a moment to calm your nervous system down and say, okay, I am anxious, but I also need some pleasure in my life. Can I recognize that I'm bringing my anxiety into the bedroom and can I sidestep it for just a moment to allow something safe in. Yeah. And the first step is stop thinking that sex is about performance. It's not, Mm. it's really about enjoying. And, and, and Lisa, you didn't do anything wrong in saying that. Right. And that is something that most people come into my office saying, but it's really about, can I relax and enjoy touch? And it's very tricky for people with vulvas because Sex is less whatever it looks like. And I don't even mean internal because internal sex is usually not what gives women the most pleasure. 
That's important yeah. for everyone to hear. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we can get into that for a long time, but it is really the way our bodies work, right? It's it's really external clitoral pressures. And we can talk about the internal clitoris. People don't even know that their clitoris is way bigger than just the little part that we see uh, and it wraps mm-hmm. around the vagina. But I was really wanting to get into the point that it's really about getting into our body, being mindful. It's almost this meditative act. What do I feel? Because pleasure is everywhere. It's in front of us right now. I am experiencing so much pleasure having a conversation with my oldie but bestie Lily right now. Like this is so fun for me. And we feel, again, our whole society is diet culture, but I say this to my clients and I don't mean food. It's like, do your homework and then you can have fun. All of a sudden work becomes this bad thing. You can't enjoy work. What, why, mm. why not? Or eat your vegetables and then you can have dessert. Then vegetables become bad. Dessert becomes the good thing, but vegetables are delicious. So there's this culture of pleasure negative. Do the negative thing and then you can have pleasure. But for a women, it's really about, can I just relax? And I call it self-centered sex for both men and women. Can I just relax and can I breathe? and and make noise and it's really interesting sometimes i have my clients watch 50 shades of gray just so that they can see you know the main actress in there and a lot of times they're like oh it doesn't feel that good she was exaggerating she was making sex sound like it was the most amazing thing in the world and i'm like yes but that breath that noise that ah that is a release that is pleasurable so there is a lot to be said about making noise and breathing in this experience mm. and not worrying. Is my partner laughing at me because I'm making a really weird noise? No, I'm not even focused on my partner right now. I'm just enjoying what I'm experiencing. Of course, there's ways to include your partner and, and make it a really communicative act. But communication is not just through the words. It's much louder, our communication through our bodies. Wow, sex is so much more layered than what we've been taught and the way it's been simplified and the way it's been, for lack of a better word, over-sexualized. Like there's so many layers beneath that that is key to our health and well-being and our emotional regulation, whether with a partner or without. And even hearing you say the words meditative for yourself and pairing that with the experience, I think is really important because I loved what you said when you said, stop thinking sex is about performance. Stop even thinking it's about the other person. Can sex be a radical act of self-care, whether, again, whether it's masturbation or whether it's with a partner, can you allow it to be about you? I think is, these are just the conversations that need to be had because I truly believe that, if we have these conversations, people are more emotionally regulated as a result. And more emotionally regulated people means a healthier society when it comes to all the ways that we function. Like you said, that release of the breath. Like imagine if people could really get that release and be less angry starting their day. Um, and I also loved how you framed the idea that like we're, we're pleasure negative, a pleasure negative society and how we can get pleasure from everything that we're doing, whether it's sipping our cup of coffee, having a conversation with our friends. I know for one that I'm very conscious of my 
subconscious scurry around feeling good because I need to get something done on my to-do list. Or if I'm like watching a movie, I'm on my phone at the same time. Like I'm, I'm afraid to just be a lot of the times. And that's coming from somebody who does a lot of the work. So imagine all the people in the world that are just subconscious living under this and missing out on all the pleasures that are around them. Yeah. Play, living, pleasure. It's all about process, but we get so caught up in like what things are supposed to be. And unfortunately, nobody taught us about communication and nobody taught us about sex. We only got taught that we're going to get a disease. So most women think that sex is penis and a vagina and they, they're embarrassed to receive cunnilingus or oral pleasure because they think, oh, I'm smelly. I'm this and that. That is like the ultimate way. If only if, and only when we can let go of a lot of the anxiety associated with that, with that, that a lot of women have, that is like the best way for women to experience pleasure like nine out of 10 times or nine. And I would say 97 out of a hundred times those <laughs> people, it's very hard for women to have vaginal orgasms, like internal orgasms. They can have things in their, in their vulva. And you know, that's a whole nother topic, but really I want women out there to know that if you look at sex as it being about penis and vagina, it is going to be really hard for you to get the most out of your experience specifically at different points in your life, like being a new mom, very hard at first, your vulva and vagina has been medicalized, medicalized for like nine months, 10 months. Yeah. I, and speaking of that topic, which is where I'm kind of at right now, you had mentioned that you work with a lot of women who are experiencing sexual issues after childbirth. I can definitely speak to sex being and kind of still is four months right now scary for me. It's, it's having a vag after having a vaginal birth, there's some, I wouldn't say trauma because that doesn't feel like the right word, but this isn't just a pleasure center. It performed a huge task and it changed obviously, you know, and, and maybe there's some feelings of nervousness about that it changed, that it might not be the same. And I could hear myself now speaking to you in this kind of out loud therapy, going back to like, sex is not about performance. Like it's not about performance. And I think there's a lot to digest out of that. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. So let's talk about a lot of postpartum women that you do work with. What sort of feelings are they experiencing? Because you seem to really digest without having kids of your own yet, that it's a really hard time when it comes to just about everything, but sex specifically. Oh, it's so hard. And everything is sex. Our body image is sex. When we are have a newborn, part of our sensuality is our skin hunger. We crave touch a lot of us. But when a newborn is hanging onto your boob, or even if you're not breastfeeding, attached to mom all day, right? Sometimes we are touched out, right? Mm -hmm. Even if we were hardcore cuddlers before baby comes and we are touched out. So don't come near me. The biggest problem Mm -hmm. I hear in sex is making sex a problem. Sex is to me, Evan coming home and giving you a little massage. That is sex Mm -hmm. to me, but there's, there's such a narrow definition and it's unfortunate because a lot of men have ingrained in them, like, and it's not their fault, but it's a product of time and evolution. I am a man if I'm having a lot of sex with my wife. Mm -hmm. And for them, because sex is kind of, I don't want to call it easier. And I don't want to say this is true for all men, because that's certainly not true. But they have this process. They get an erect penis, they have sex, they ejaculate, and they are like, oh, I had an orgasm. Men can be multi-orgasmic without ejaculating. But because they have such a process, a mechanical act, it's very obvious to them. But what I was trying to get into before is like, it's not that obvious for women. So a lot of times there is desire discrepancy. And so these new moms, they're like trying to figure out who their body is. They're like, oh, body, am I attractive? Like, what is going on? Do I like this this person, even though it's like a different size, and I'm only okay, maybe a lot of them say when I get back in my new genes. So like, I have to be on this diet culture again. I'm being bad if I eat, enjoy a bagel or whatever it is, right? And it's a lot of pressure. Plus, you're trying to keep your head above water, but it's so hard because you're just taking care of your kid. And it's a lot. And you know what I haven't really spoken that much about, or at least I think about it a lot is like you said, touched out, like every mom knows what it feels like to be touched out. And if you're breastfeeding specifically, it's, it's a lot right now. I'm in this weird trying to figure things out where I'm breastfeeding, uh, nursing, and I'm pumping six to seven times a day. And the last thing I want anyone to do is touch my breasts. And that is a huge change to have your boobs, which were part of the pleasure experience become off limits and also serve this secondary function. And I remember distinctly when you and I traveled to Africa, 
a lot of the African culture that we got to experience uh, was topless. Like the women just walked around topless and I just thought it was beautiful. And in that moment, it really shifted for me, this idea that, that breasts are not sexual. We have sexualized them. That's not to say that they don't contribute to pleasure during a sexual act because I've experienced that, but where, where do boobs kind of fall for you, Lisa? And you're somebody, by the way, if it's okay to say, and we'll take this out if you want me to, but I had implants, you had reduction, right? <laughs> but, and neither I believe were for sexual function. Where, where do boobs fall for you when it comes to sex or not sex? Where do we, what category do we put them in? Are they the same as an elbow? Are they the same as a vagina? Where do we put them? For me, sort of, yes. Like, obviously they're amazing. They feed human beings uh, when you're a woman who has breasts. But like, when I think of a body in Africa, just being, I really appreciate that they're not so caught up on whether they're being objectified or not, because I think there is a huge fear of being objectified women thinking that the man is going to just use them for sex or my, uh, this is a really large thing that comes up. There's a discrepancy. Women are craving more emotional intimacy many times. And this is not true for all couples. It could be the opposite. But many times women are craving more emotional intimacy and they look at their partner wanting sex. Like, if we don't get a better sex life, I can't stay with you. Or like, I'm really unhappy. And for the man, a lot of times sex is how they know that their partner wants to feel vulnerable with them and desires them in a way that like they would not with other people. It is a true act of vulnerability, right? So I want people to get into the erotic self and not fear whether they're being objectified because in my head, I always say like objectification is kind of like, okay during sex. Like it's okay to be called talk dirty if that's what you like. And I don't even like the word dirty because it's like implies there's something like gross about it. But like if someone's saying something in a very erotic way that in any other light might be considered offensive, but it's with a partner that you're consensually wanting, maybe someone you love, then to me, making love is not about like, oh, we're making eye contact. And this is like the Titanic, Leo and Kate, like, it's not like that. It could be like, any shape, any way, you don't need to be looking in each other eye. To me, it's like, we're so in love. I get to have self-centered sex right now. I get to be mindful and in my body. I don't have to worry that they're objectifying me. I already know they're not. They love me. They want a life with me. And that's, I guess, the importance of making sure that you're in a relationship where you feel safe outside of the bedroom because that safety needs to be established before you make it to the bedroom. Without that, you might be looking for clues of, of safety and, and feel very unsafe if that person calls you a word or however they speak, you know, whatever that is, because that hasn't been, you know, addressed out before you made it to the bedroom. All right. One question I want to ask you before we go is that as society progresses, I feel like we, we are progressing, in my opinion, quickly. I'm sure in, in many other people's opinions, not so quickly. But I'm learning more about fluidity in relationships and the idea that monogamy really is extinct for many people. And what I mean by that is not necessarily that a husband and a wife aren't together, but in modern day, we have access to things like porn or other things that other societies didn't. And that might, to some people, mean you're not monogamous if one partner's watching porn. A couple might want to bring another person into the relationship, uh, whether 
that be, you know, short-term, long-term, or perhaps bring, you know, or be more fluid with their, have an open relationship. I know Will Smith, I believe, has an open relationship, I heard. You didn't know that? I don't know. I'm not up on the celebrities, uh, sexual stuff. I don't know. I'd have to Google. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure if that, if that's correct or not, but the conversation around more fluid relationships, open relationships is certainly mind blowing to me. Is it something that you're seeing a lot in your practice? Yeah. I see a lot of open relationships. Listen, we're covering so many topics and I can't do any of them justice in just these this short time. So anyone feel free to contact me, but I don't look at porn as being bad unless it is, it's like anything is bread bad or is fruit bad. Well, anything, if you're feeling like a compulsion to have it excessively and excessively, excessively, okay, then we can look into why, but there's a huge misnomer about most sex therapists in our country. And there's a huge argument about this in the field, but the certifying American Association for Sex Educators, Counselors and Therapists have made statements that they have no proof and reason to believe that sex addiction exists or like this porn addiction, or a lot of people have this like porn, you know, anti-porn rhetoric from our Totally. And I think that's like maybe a whole other conversation, yeah. but I guess the question is yeah. if your partner is, is, is using porn on to masturbate on their spare time, whatever, um, and they're attracted to somebody else, whether again, whether that's porn or just walking down the street, they're attracted to somebody else. I think we suppress those feelings because we're afraid of what that means to our monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that's really important is fantasy. Just because you have a fantasy doesn't mean you want it to happen in real life. I am so sorry to anyone who has not heard this or really processed this. And this might be hard to hear, but like we're all attracted to a lot of people con- constantly. And we don't need to suppress that because it's okay. You can be attracted to people and also only want to be with one person. If you're feeling like, no, I really want to be with a lot of people. Well, maybe you're really feeling this powerful feeling that you don't want to be monogamous. And the thing that couples do that is problematic, in my opinion, is they open the relationship without creating a contract and doing it in a very educated way. And there's a huge misnomer that like kinky people and people who have sex with multiple partners are unsafe or dangerous. They're actually the most safe. They are people that are trained, kinky people are trained into making sure things are consensual and careful. It's more these like heteronormative little kids going around having one night stands that put themselves almost at more risk sometimes because they aren't sexually educated and trained to have those conversations. But when it comes to like, do I want an open relationship? Sure, they can work, but it, it requires, in my opinion, months of contracting and recontracting so that there is safety for the primary partners. And I will never shame anyone for wanting to have a third or anything like that. I have a lot of couples like that, but I encourage them not to do that without being very clear on what their boundaries are, because like all things, boundaries are really important to individual and emotional safety. So what you're saying is a couple who's, let's say, married, you know, kind of like the highest form of togetherness might explore having an open relationship. But I know my own judgments come up when we talk about this to say, well, this is a couple that's ultimately going to fail. Uh, But you're saying that might not necessarily be true. In fact, their relationship might be more concrete than a couple that's silencing those feelings because they're being so open and vulnerable that they want to invite other people in and, and, and big end, there's boundaries around how far that can go that are constantly being discussed. 
whenever we repress, think about like a diet. If I don't eat carbs for like a year and all of a sudden I have like one bite of a carb, there's a good chance I'm going to binge on those carbs. So think about repressing how you, what you want your whole life. Think about what we've heard in the news about celebrities transitioning, Caitlyn Jenner, right? Caitlyn Jenner was repressing that part of herself her entire life and she could not bear it anymore. She couldn't live another day pretending to be someone she wasn't. And it's the same thing with affairs where people, a lot of people feel so much shame. They grew up in really religious places or different countries that really were anti-sexuality at all outside of marriage and outside of reproduction. And they find themselves going to strip clubs or meeting sex workers away from their wife who may not have any education about sex, but they're like, something's wrong with me. I'm horrible, but I can't hold it in. And it's, it's a compulsion to trying to repress a huge part of yourself, which is your sexuality. So that's where, when we talk about like, you know, sex therapists call out of control, sexual behavior, not sex addiction. Well, some do, but not me. I call it out of control sexual behavior. It's more rooted in why am I repressing a part of me? Mm -hmm. What really is Mm -hmm. out of control behavior? Is it having sex with unsafely with a lot of people or is it yeah having sex i think this yeah. this conver- this conversation goes hand in hand with the idea that there's no such thing as a sugar addiction and the, the the party that advocates that there's no such thing as a sugar addiction is saying the same thing as you when talking about there's no such thing as a sex addiction if you're not repressing something if you're not saying sugar is bad if you're not saying sex is bad if you're allowing yourself to have sugar for breakfast you know if you're allowing sugar to be in your diet if you're allowing sex to be part of your life in a really open way, you're not addicted to it as long as you're being open about what it is. And the same thing with sugar, you know, you might find that it it's just part of your life and it's not something that you're thinking about all the time or you're not doing being bad for returning to it again. It just exists. They both provide pleasure. Like I think that, that the arguments are very parallel and it's super interesting to continue to talk about the, the intersect between diet culture and pleasure negative sex culture, because all of it is rooted in repression and repressing just being a human. Yeah. And it it hones in, it circles back to how we started, Lisa, which is how did I work on my Mm -hmm. healing while I'm still healing? I'll never be actualized. I'll still have, and I still do work through anxiety related to my weight. It's deep rooted. I do have to breathe through experiences. The same thing. I still find myself here and there, not often because I've really, really tried, but sometimes still like sexuality things. It's been a lot of, what's amazing about a loving relationship is the best therapy happens in couples work. I really believe that because you can have an insecure attachment or different anxiety, you know, anxious attachments, but with a loving foundation with another person to be able to work through that and build a secure base to become an earned secure person is amazing. And I think that's really what I've been able to earn through my relationship with sexuality, through my relationship with food and through my relationship with my partner. It's this earned security. And it's, it's really what I hope for all people to get in their lives. Yes. And I love that, like a little place to start. If talking about pleasure and sex feels uncomfortable for you, are there other areas of your life where you're denying yourself pleasure that you could open that door that might feel more comfortable, whether it's with food or silliness or dance, you know, whatever it is, because I think as soon as we open the door in one way, we can open the door in another way. And that could have a trickle down effect. And I certainly am not an expert and I have a lot to learn from you, Lisa, but I just 
I know from experience when I open the door to food and trusting myself around food, the door to trusting myself around all these other things and, and my body's wisdom began to speak much louder. And I think that's kind of what it's about, about breaking through these ideas that we should and we shouldn't, the good and the bad, um, and allowing ourselves to talk with our friends, with our partners, with ourselves, honestly, about our, our desires, because no desire, like you said, unless, you know, <laughs> illegal activity is, is bad. And I'll finish with this, Lisa, you said something, it's amazing to see you having this conversation with me, because I've been doing this for a while now, but I knew it was always hard for Lisa to talk to me about, and she'd ask random questions along the way. And at her bachelorette party, I put a cucumber and a banana down and we labeled it something, but really what we were talking about are relationships and dating. And then the activity was sort of at the end about like the banana. And it was a lot for Lisa at the time. And maybe you remember that, maybe you kind of like just froze at the end with the banana and that's what you take away from it. But look, for anyone who's uncomfortable now, that's okay. Cause you'll figure out when you're ready to have this conversation, it will happen for you. And it really is not about these extreme acts or silly moments. It's about opening up a dialogue and gaining comfort, being vulnerable, because that's how we connect. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack, I think, from that experience. But I, I think for me, I subscribe subscribed to this idea that like sex is reserved for closed doors. So even just being around girlfriends and I'm the most open naked person, you know, all my friends have seen me me naked. I'm never, you know, clo- I don't, I don't sexualize my body when with friends. So I've, I've never been afraid to be naked. You know that you're a big naked or too, Lisa. But I think for me, like having that experience wasn't something I wanted to maybe do with girlfriends. I don't know. We'll save that yeah, for, for okay. a personal conversation. Yeah, okay. But I, I think that people listening will keep this in the episode because it's something to really listen to about how it makes you feel and explore explore that or any judgments about me that might be coming up as we kind of have this open, honest conversation. All right, Lisa, you're amazing. I'm going to put your information below so people can reach out to you with questions, to work with you, to learn more. And thank you so much. And congrats on your engagement. And hopefully we'll have you back on real soon. And of course, thank you for living your truthiest life. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.